Hi, everyone. I'm here with Heather Taylor-Portman. Heather, welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, Heather, before we get into our conversation, why don't you share with the listeners a little bit of where you've come from, what you've done, and what you're most interested right now? Um, I used to work with you at Us Too. That's how we met, or just before then. Uh, at the moment, I would describe myself as an organisational experience designer, and I'm taking lots of different methodologies and applying them to help organisations embrace change and for teams to feel more empowered. And um, on the side, I also do kind of more one-off facilitation work too. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I'm most interested um, in, I think, how how we can help people exist in a way that feels comfortable when everything is changing and nothing feels certain. Um, I think this is something that's felt really important for me for a couple of years, but I think, um, I hate to say the B word, but Brexit and everything else, this has kind of introduced more of a general climate of that Mm -hmm. um, sort of change and uncertainty. So I think I'm most interested in what helps us as humans feel a bit more comfortable and um, secure. Perfect. I think that is too true in this world of ever constant change and nothing is stable uh, impacts everyone from both in a professional sense and a non-professional sense. Like yeah, where are we going to live? Affordable housing. Mm. Um, and if I live outside of the city, where am I going to work? And it all kind of weaves in together. So uh, it's great that somebody's yeah. thinking about it. And will I have any friends? And can yeah. I get a flat white? Exactly. <laughs> really exactly. important stuff. <laughs> Human needs. Um, so, guys, I'm going to switch up the style of today's podcast. As Heather mentioned, uh, we met uh, working at Us Two, so I brought Heather into my team to bring in um, a bit more process and, and I guess, uh, I don't want to say procedures, it wasn't procedures, a little bit of process and um, structure to the how we approached learning and development and internal mentorship Um, And I really enjoyed working with Heather, and we like to talk a lot about similar subjects. And so I figured instead of this being an interview, uh, Heather and I will just topic talk on some of our favorite things. Um, Is that okay with you, Heather? That's been great. Great. Uh, So let's start. We have a brainstormed list here, um, but I'm pretty sure we'll go off-piste. So... Mm-mm-mm. How about we start with how actually building on uh, thinking about how you manage in a change environment? We were just talking about equipping people with like the right tools in mm-hmm. order to make an impact. Go. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is kind of one of my um, things that I like to rant about is um, you'll have leadership teams or kind of evangelists who like a particular sort of self-management process and they will impose that process or those rituals or that um, way of doing things on their team without looking at the individuals who have to try and exist in that environment and make the most of it. Mm. And I think quite often um, we don't remember that people need to have a little bit of a different mindset to operate in a self-managed or a kind of more self-organising environment and so lots of the stuff that I 
love doing is about working with the individual on their own self-management and a lot of that is very similar to the kind of work that you do with executive leaders Mm. it's just that I'm reaching people maybe that earlier point in their career um, where maybe they haven't come up against the challenges that a leader might and I think a huge part of that is self-awareness and other huge part of it is communication but quite often we talk about collaboration skills um it's more under the bracket of how do i exist in a team that's organizing its own workload so um so us too that was very much the way of organizing it's much more how people are doing things now around projects or um shorter term engagements where you organize with a group of people and then you um kind of reorganize around another project at a later date so yeah, that's, that's is less about hierarchy that we know from the past. Totally, and I think I feel like we like skipped a couple steps. We went from talking about departments to collaboration and not addressing these key little moments in between around self awareness and communication and all the elements that make a good collaboration possible, mm-hmm. and not equipping people with the right tools. And not everyone is fit for. A collaborative environment. No, and I think I mean it's also there's two, there's two different sides to that. One is that you've got quite um, people who are early in their careers, but who've kind of leapfrogged um, yeah. really fast, accelerated careers, and then you also have um, people who are really talented, need time to do deep work, so programmers or people who are doing design need that those long chunks of time yeah. to really get into a state of flow. And we're demanding that they be um, kind of interrupted. And yeah. they might be even just in an environment that's causing them stress or distraction. So I think thinking about kind of all of those different components that shape the experience of um, someone's working day is really important. But I think giving people really concrete um, ways of doing something that they can then play with once they've reached a level of capability. So one of the really big things that we did at us too was um, introduce a way of doing feedback. Right. So this is a really distinct conversation that you might need to have that will improve alignment. If you give a kind of set of um, principles around it, and maybe even um, something that I worked on again with a client more recently, doing a recipe for feedback, mm. gives people a confidence till they can build their own way of doing it yeah, and something a bit more natural. Yeah, exa- I think that's so spot on. Like, there's... I feel I have to constantly say, like, you're being a little bit dogmatic in that approach. Even, and I find the irony hilarious, like, dogmatic agile practices, because the whole point of agile is to be a bit more flexible. Um, but whether you go off and read a book or you've done a training program or you've read an article and you... It's often the leaders that come with these frameworks and force them in without really looking at their organization and going, okay, well, what elements of those programs do I like that will work for me? Mm -hmm. And then how do I spend that time listening and adapting to make it stick on an individual level? But everyone wants the quick win, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's also that thing of um, because you've connected with something, you assume other people should. So um, it's a little bit like the, um, the leadership person who's read one book who's insisting it's the future, to me, it's like, I don't know if you ever dated one of those guys who's like, you must listen to this band. <laughs> I feel like it's that same thing, like, you should hear this the way I'm hearing it. And yeah. actually... Um... I haven't dated them, I'm married to them. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, um, but I think it's that... Um, it's that same kind of not accepting where someone else is coming from, what their tastes and preferences and so on are, yeah. um, meeting them 
somewhere <laughs> where you've got um, some some alignment. But I think um, really, I, I'm I'm actually I'm so I'm a certified Scrum practitioner. I love agile from a process point of view mm-hmm. and actually I do believe that and a mentality point yeah of view. I think I think agility uh, from an organizational perspective needs people who are needs people who are flexible but and people who are committed to continuous improvement like that has to be the mindset that you're you're striving for better all the time mm-hmm. not perfection um but that things can always be better and that you'll have new data at every point in your journey and so I think that's really crucial but I do think that scrum offers us a really important framework which we when actually you do do it properly um will surface the dysfunction in your organization i think quite often um it might feel like that's one of those dogmatic things Mm -hmm. and people resist it um or when they haven't practiced it properly they already start messing with the formula and then they say it doesn't work um so i'm a little bit of i'm a little bit precious but i still like have a soft spot for scrum because (laughs) i think the um the it's not so much the process the rituals and that kind of thing it's actually the um modeling of what the relationships and responsibilities are yeah so you, well, think, going to yeah. principles as well like what you called out earlier is highlighting the principles of an approach so that people understand the why yeah. instead of just we're doing scrum yeah it's we're doing scrum because and here's the principles yeah. or values that we believe now will I'll change. completely misremember the agile manifesto now but i'm pretty certain it's individuals and interactions over processes and documentation yes yeah. yeah. but it's always i'm always thinking about individuals and interactions like that's probably the bit of the agile manifesto that's my bit <laughs> <laughs> you know that's uh, firing my engine so i think helping people remember this really comes down to how we are as people and how we um, connect with each other and if you can start to make some of those relationships explicit or your purpose in those interactions explicit then it's a lot easier than um, operating where you assume everyone knows what you're trying to achieve very true (laughs) well and like you know i i think going back to what you said around a one leader will see something that addresses their problem but makes the assumption that it's also everyone else's problem. I mean, I see that a lot. Like, mm. managers are stressed, leaders are stressed, and they want they want a quick fix so that it gives them more time and makes people happy. Yeah. But um, not thinking, just because that's your going to fix the solution for you might mean, and I've seen this happen, you're actually causing pain for the people you're creating this for. Um, poorly managed change systems, for example, or we're moving, we're pivoting, or changing this org structure. It hasn't been thought through, and it, the people that are using or customers of this new system haven't mm. been uh, uh, taken into account. They haven't been interviewed. No one really knows what their problems are, and then it's just it just becomes such chaos. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's also so it is partly that empathizing with your. Um, your person, your user, I suppose, your employees. But it's also just actually listening to them. Because I think this is something that in uh, that I learned from, I also, as <laughs> my mixed career, I've also been a practitioner within a service design context. And something that I think is really key, and I think it's indie. Oh, I can never remember her, her name. She writes the Rosenfeld books, but she's written a book called Practical Empathy. And one of her key things, key takeaways, is you don't empathise with someone by imagining what it's like to be in their shoes. You empathise with them by asking them what it's like to be in their <laughs> shoes. And I think this is a step that we often miss, is that we imagine that we can understand someone's perspective or we imagine what will solve their problem. And it's not that we have to ask people to tell us the answer to their problems, 
a lot of the time that's the kind of work that I come in and help suggest mm. solutions or experiments. But I think it's more that leaders quite often aren't doing quite enough listening in advance of that diagnosing what the problem mm-hmm. is. So you think this is the problem, you start trying to solution solutioneer for it and you assume that people are, are going to be grateful for that solution but actually you weren't aligned on what the issue is. No, and how many times have you (laughs) seen a leader listen to validate their own point of view? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's the same as, I don't know, if you've ever had a client, um, if you make products in client services context, but you'll often have a client who suddenly does get excited about this idea of user research, but will come and say, oh, my niece is in the right age bracket and she wouldn't use this or she says she likes this logo and it's so unhelpful um, when people kind of bring a a one person to be there um, to sort of wedge their own opinion in but I think that's I mean we're all human and I think it's this is where the self-awareness piece comes in which is like understanding like what bias you hold and like where you might be leaning towards something and missing something else because you've got preferences like my preference will always be about this kind of way of doing things and actually sometimes I might miss a blind spot which is to do with actually the solution here might not be empowering people it might be giving them instructions or giving them direction so I've gone into the habit of of clarifying when people say well lots of people think x Going, and my response is always, who, who are these lots of people? Mm-hmm. Is it two people? That, but you really want to reinforce this? Yeah. Um, or is it actually lots of people? Like, yeah. if it's 80% of the organization that feels that way, then yeah, it will become my ultimate priority. Mm-hmm. But if it's 20% or two people, in one case it was, I'm not really going to do anything about it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, scale isn't always everything because I think um, the inclusion agenda is also really key here. So mm. you might only have two people who are saying something's a problem, but if they are only two female engineers, yeah. maybe yeah. you should listen to them. So there's also like a kind of who's got the ear of the people yeah. who make the decisions. Yeah. And, um, and I think helping make sure that they're listening to a cross-section of people, that's really key too. But I think, um, yeah, it's it's just... Being compassionate when we're supporting leaders and spotting those blind spots, because mm-hmm. um, I think that really reminded me of like when you would say, "Oh, everyone at school thinks blah blah blah," and your mother <laughs> would be like, uh, "Who's everyone? Like, I'm not everyone. You're not everyone." You know. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I think you can challenge them compassionately without yeah. um, uh, making people feel defensive. Yes, definitely. Okay, next next topic. Last on your list. So Heather pulled out a line that I said in a video interview I did a few weeks ago, um, which I don't remember saying, (laughs) but I don't regret saying it. Um, I said that startups and scale-ups are full of bad managers, and yet they continue to thrive, which is true, right? Yeah. Um, So... Let's one talk about what do we when I say bad management and you say bad management. What are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I suppose I think about this through a sort of maturity context. I mean, you see a lot of very um, young leaders who have huge ambitions to scale rapidly, yep. um, suddenly being really well funded, and there's all sorts of. Um, I guess, little holes and things in the the fabric of their organisation that have been neglected because they've been in startup hustle mode. Yes. And then also you've got that other part of it, which is the hiring your friends or hiring people who you've just met in a serendipitous way who were able to muck in and do a generalist kind of all-hands-on-deck phase of your business. 
And then suddenly those people are escalated into, I don't know, director positions. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, it's a lot harder to manage. It's a lot harder to undo mm. the promises and the positions once that's all falling into place. So that's definitely something that I kind of have observed a little bit. I don't, You've probably seen more because you work much more closely with those kinds of startups. But um, when I'm talking about bad management, I mean you aren't recognising yourself as a leader in the nature of what you need to do as a leader in your business once you've grown. Yeah. Um, and instead, it's um, there's there's things that aren't quite working or line management. I, I don't think of line management as, like, such a, a thing, but I think, like, every person in your business should have someone who's looking out for their career. Yeah. And, and really, and in a kind way, supporting them in that journey and also have a level of mastery that you can look up to. Yeah. And I think quite often... You, yes, you do want to hire people who are more clever than you and all of those things, but you do also need some kind of mentorship in an organisation and mm-hmm. support journey. So there's those kinds of... So it's kind of like the managing the actual business, the kind of capabilities there, and then there's like actually managing people and growing people side of it. Yeah. Um, but I think you've probably had some much more <laughs> close <laughs> experiences of that. It was, said, it was said in this kind of passionate way that that was why <laughs> it struck my attention. I think, well, it's a combination of stuff, um, like a lot of what you've just said. Um, if we took, if I generalized and took a startup founder's story, um, you know, they've had validation from users. They've had validation from external VCs. They've been given a lot of money. Um, we're not at the point yet where people can safely talk about vulnerability and what it means to have all this pressure on you. Mm-hmm. And I think instead of that coming out in a constructive way, whether that's with a coach or with their own team, um, it comes out in an inconstructive way around trying to take on too much, not understanding their own strengths and weaknesses, um, and being everything. And I, I've sometimes found it interesting when I've come in and, um, raised put a mirror up and my mirror is telling them everything that the external world has not told them so up until this point they've been been validated left right and center in the media by people with lots of money by their friends by their family um by their employees right kind of put mm-hmm. on a pedestal and then coming in and being like well actually if you continue this, it's A, not scalable, and B, going to cause a lot of damage as you start to grow. And I think that I've seen an internal struggle with that. And mm. um, and I think that's primarily in, in the founding teams that grow really rapidly and their roles grow really rapidly. And it takes a lot for someone to say, actually, this job is now too big for me, and maybe I need to take some time to learn uh, and grow in a in a normal time frame instead of just feeling this pressure that they need to perform, um, which is completely un- unreasonable. Mm, yeah, and I think that's going to be, um, you know, all of that imposter syndrome stuff. I mean, yeah. there are also people who <laughs> maybe need some imposter syndrome. Um, you yeah. know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot going on when you kind of hit a success point and you've and it's happened in a very sudden way yeah so I think it's amazing as well it's like something that deserves credit yeah but I think um it's also recognizing who are the people that you should um be leading with and through who will raise your bar yeah exactly so like recognizing where your gaps are but I think this is where um, taking external advice can get quite risky. So, where really think about who who your mm-hmm. who your advisors are if you're a leader at that point, because mm-hmm. I think 
it's um, very easy to have either the people who've got money invested or um, yeah. or just like yeah. one per- you know one yeah. really influential person who makes well, you feel, paying a lot of money yeah, who, for you know and I think the guru thing that's not that's never good <laughs> uh, but I think um, definitely coaching so yeah. important yeah get to your own answers yeah I mean going this bad management. Um, epidemic quote-unquote uh <laughs> all kind of played out for me with uber over the past year oh, God, right like just every detail is makes you shudder yeah but it's not crazy like it's this isn't like oh wow i can't believe this is happening in the world i anyone that is truly shocked mm-hmm. i think is a little bit naive like this unfortunately is so telling of that industry where it's mm-hmm. growth for the sake of growth um regardless of the people impact yeah. um yeah and it's only when that stuff came out that things stopped it wouldn't have stopped if it wasn't public this would still be happening mm-hmm. so it's very likely that it's happening in lots of places yeah um and i actually don't attribute that necessarily down to inexperienced managers because i know it happens with experienced managers i think well. it's down to values yeah yeah mm. and um surrounding yourself by people that live those bad behaviors as well that don't stand up that don't question that don't push back and maybe they were but the culture was so overwhelming that their voices got lost but either way whoever was at the top let this stuff happen yeah but also that people built this yeah there's 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 always i think there's there's a a point where you also if you're existing in an organization getting straight with your own values means that you can filter what you will and won't do yeah and i think there are some pretty dark things being executed by people who could be using their skills uh, for good. Yeah, yeah. And that in the moment they're not seeming like that bad a thing because you're in this environment. Yeah. But I, I mean, personally, I have never liked Uber's brand. I remember when it came out and it was these kind of smarmy executive guys um, with this, you know, chick on the, you know, just yucky macho kind of stereotype thing. And funnily enough, that's played out through their <laughs> brand, you know. Yeah. And to me, that is, that. Like, that is brand values. It's like, who are you attracting? And mm-hmm. I think um, in terms of, like, one thing that I've loved for years is um, Anne Friedman's shine theory um, idea which is that as a woman that you want to pick women who are like the people you admire and that you're like mildly maybe even intimidated by because if I don't shine if you don't shine this kind of idea that you surround yourself with people who are bringing you up making you better yeah. and I think really questioning like who are the people you spend your time with and that's like in your day-to-day life as well as at work but Very I much. think in the nature of our workplaces often that's all one world isn't it it's who you're having brunch yeah. with on a Saturday as well as who you're in stand-up with on a Monday morning so really questioning like are these people supporting my core values and then also are they making me like a nicer better human and yeah. helping me function well and that's why I actually always think about shine theory when I think about you because I remember you spoke at an event and I kind of ran up to you afterwards <laughs> um I was like you're like my you're like an internet person but let's be friends in real life um so I think that's always really important to do yeah it's funny because I remember um I like started following you on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh my god, this girl's so smart!" <laughs> like, it's Twitter social media goals. Um, so it was. No, you're the best. No, you are. No, you. Um, sorry about that. 
Um, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> Uh, so, one more thing I want to talk about, um, because we've talked about it a lot, and I was recently in a conversation with a founding team executive and their new VC, and we were talking about leadership programs, and the new VC, or it wasn't the VC, but someone that worked in that org, was like, well, at the last place I worked, we put in this um, engagement system, and that measured the management performance. Now, it wasn't the time for me to give my opinion, but if it was the time, I would have said, I well, think actually. that's a load of shit. Um, because um, get, like, what gets measured gets managed, and I think you can't be that scientific when it comes to leadership. So when it, let's talk about measuring engagement and then how that measures leadership. Okay, so I love measuring stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it more as a holding myself to account as well as someone who is essentially promising change in organisations. Mm-hmm. And I think I've introduced um, engagement m- measurement in an organisation because I wanted to almost like check whether yeah. things were yeah. moving in a certain yeah. direction. Yeah. But I think it really that's coming down to like, again, the, the what you manage what you measure thing is... Really, the art of question design, really, um, if you are choosing to go with a software company who will design your surveys for you or give you a package, um, really question them in depth. Um, we were really lucky at us too because we also had a people analyst who's a real um, data whiz, um, Jay, and um, he put all of the software companies pitching to us through their places mm. and we were really impressed by Culture Ramp in particular and we, we ended up working with them for a while. But I, I always think it's not just about um, doing the measurement, it's also about data, data literacy in the leadership team and in the rest of the, the studio that we were working with there because... Some people might look at results and make sense of them in a totally different way. And yes. um, and you also don't want to leave things open to manipulating a story. So you do want to support people, again, to not be looking to confirm their own bias or their own story. Exactly, yeah. So I think that's a really key part of it. But the way I look at it, and this comes from me coming from a sort of more product background, is when you're managing your digital product, your analytics are your kind of signals, right? They're telling you uh, our users aren't clicking on X thing, right? So maybe your users aren't clicking on a favorite button. Um, You don't just then start creating different favorite buttons everywhere and moving it around the screen and A-B testing, you know, different things every week. You then, if you're a good product company, you then you go and you talk to your users. So you, you ask them questions about their needs and you probably don't ask them a question, which is why aren't you clicking on the favourite button, right? <laughs> so really thinking about how you can use your engagement data and the results, check that you've got the right data literacy to be able to make sense of those results and that you're looking at the right things. Um, then start to look at what are these giving us signals about and then what is the what is the conversation that we need to have with people. So I think that's a really, that is kind of the way I look at it and that's um, hopefully makes sense. But I think in terms of being able to look at that and... Um, ascertain whether someone is a good leader mm-hmm. or whether we're doing a good job as a leadership team. I think there's so many other elements that come into a leadership performance. So a leader shouldn't just be being based on a leader's performance shouldn't just be being based on those engagement factors. And I think those will go through so for instance um 
really common phenomenon is that almost like when someone's entering an organization they're in the honeymoon phase yeah so their first three months say someone's got a mainly new team like yeah <laughs> a new manager might be given a new team right yeah. so their yeah. results might look amazing yeah and then suddenly drop off yeah and actually that doesn't show that the leader suddenly changed the behavior and everything's gone wrong yeah three months in actually it could be showing that's a new team who've gone through a honeymoon kind of artificial harmony phase and yeah. then they're all experiencing a bit of friction there may not even be a major dysfunction issue there either it may just be a natural phase that team needs to go through so really looking at your data as a, as a long-term trend mm. and not just a knee-jerk you failed the test yeah um, what are you going to do about yeah, exactly. it you need um, to go on a program exactly um, so that's actually, kind of that's kind of how I see it I think that's spot on and on the flip side of that I there's uh, I know of a team where the if they were to do an engagement survey, this manager would have, I don't know, red, like mm-hmm. red being bad. Yeah. Um, unhappy team. But this manager was hired in to specifically to, you know, bring this team around. Yeah. And it's no reflection on their ability. It's a very much a reflection mm-hmm. on this team hasn't moved on with the organization. And no matter who was in that role, there would be a red. Yeah. Whereas uh, a different team who had a kind of more of a mixed or a different role within the organization would be a green and give their manager green. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that that manager is any more capable than the one that got red. Yeah. And I think that's where I struggle with it being a very binary um, yeah. system or when it's used in a binary way yeah. and not in a insights like, oh, well, what can this tell us about this team? And then what would I do differently as a manager, instead of it being like a scorecard. Exactly. Yeah, and I think the nature of that, I think the team that we often forget in an organisation that is project or team-based is the leadership team operating as a team as mm-hmm. well. And if, if you imagine that you start scoring people's performance as individuals in a project team, yeah. the impact that has on yeah. the collaboration, yeah. um, the same thing goes in the leadership team. So you you do also want to look at results as a collective and yeah. not as a, oh, you got a B- and I got this and therefore I'm okay. And yeah, exactly. You need to pull yourself and up. and I think we you know, forget that leaders are also human. <laughs> And, no way. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I have um, soft sides too. Yeah. Well, like, of course, they have soft sides. But, you know, I think often they're just put on this. It's not a pedestal. It's more like a chopping block where, or um, what's a better example? I don't know. They're raised above everyone else and everyone else gets to point and criticize them. Mm-hmm. And they're just supposed to take it um, and be strong because that's what they're being paid to do. Yeah. Um, and and not a lot, enough compassion, I think, when you look at this stuff, goes into, well, actually, if I was a leader in this team, how would that make me feel being, um, you know, my team and I aren't connecting, um, and so I'm going to get a red mark, and how will that make me feel amongst my team members? Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, I just really, I, I often struggle with that. They're just, oh, well, they're in the leadership team, so they should have um, this skin as thick as yeah tree trunks i mean you've t- i mean you've talked about um the i'm not paid enough to this is not you're not paid enough for this to be your problem right yeah. so there are, there are people in the organization who take on a lot about the success of that organization who aren't yes. leaders right yeah. and yes leaders are paid a lot more and they are elevated in this way but i do think um and I do think being compassionate towards your leadership team as someone 
in the, I don't know, floor staff is, um, is a good move. But I think it's also, um, it's more about how we share that data and how we talk about it. Exactly. So what's the story? Why are we measuring it? Um, if you think that the engagement survey is your time to, like, shit on your boss, yeah. then that's how that's the headspace that you're going to answer it in. Yeah. If the engagement scores are our results and go... So if you think about this light again like a product, yeah. so it's more like... Um, when we look at the uh, analytics of our organisation, what's working well, what needs attention, and then when we need to focus our attention on that thing, how will we impact change? And yes, a big part of that responsibility and decision-making sits with the leadership team because that is why they're paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But it is also, it's not a report card. It's it's a, me- yeah. it's a general measurement of, func- of how it's functioning. And I think how you bring in those measures, how you talk about them, and that's why I think these... Um, a lot of the new software is good because it does give you a chance to have a different story. It's not the engagement scores that happen once a year. Exactly. It's a continuous trend um, kind of analysis tool. So yeah. that's that's kind of how I see it. I think, you, again, it's uh, a very me thing to say, but it's like how you think about it. Yeah. Um, I remember I had a boss give the... It was one of these massive corporate engagement programs and the boss, like basically went through it and he was like yeah and like look like took out all the positives that affected our team and was like so we're basically doing great (laughs) like I don't feel great at all working here um but also maybe I wasn't the right fit for that team um and I will skew the data uh okay is there anything you would like to add talk about Mm. share Ooh, well I think um I think something that we both love, which I know that you're working on at the moment, is creating programs and yeah. seeing people grow. Um, so I, I had a Figuratively. Question, yes. <laughs> yes, figuratively grow and their hearts swell and they yeah. become better humans. But it's more, I'm, I'm really interested in, so you put together this program for YCN, mm-hmm. um, which is about creative leadership. Mm-hmm. And really, I'd love to know how coaching, because you're a coach, intersects with that and also what other components you think are really important for emerging leaders who want to be creative in their style Mm, excellent question i think this is the first time i've been asked a question on this (laughs) podcast it's a Um, really long question terrible question let me break that apart uh the coaching one's very relevant because i heather and i are attending an event tonight where i'm talking about the coach approach to leading teams um so as a coach and i'm very precious about peer coaching Mm. um so for those of you that don't know peer coach well peer coaches don't tell you what to do they're not advisors they're not mentors they ask you the right questions in order for you to come to your own answers and I've been a proud coaching advocate since I did my uh, day one of my coach training program and I've seen a coach sometimes multiple coaches ever since and but and I thought I wanted to be a full-time coach and then realized no (laughs) It's not for me. Um, I like to have more hands-on impact. Uh, but I did f- embed this coaching approach, which is about kind of leaning out and not feeling like I need to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And actually, if I just ask people what they think, um, then we get a much more richer and engaging experience. And in fact, some of the people that work with me now laugh, make fun of me, because every time I get asked a question, I answer back with a question. <laughs> What do you think we should do? So, um, who's who's one is it anyway? Game. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's the where I see coaching playing a role in leadership. The elements of um, 
of uh, that I also think make make an important part in leaders wanting to be creative is the ability to uh, create and manage change. So if you're a leader that's stressed out by ambiguity, you're not going to thrive in the future because unfortunately for you, or fortunately for those of you that get that, for those of you that don't get that, unfortunately, and I hate to be the one to say it, you're not going to be very successful because the world is going to continue to change and your role as a manager is to manage that and to Mm -hmm. get those that aren't comfortable with change uh, to thrive and to get them comfortable. And that will take a whole bunch of different skills that are not necessarily in the business books uh, right now um, because it's very unpredictable. And I think creativity for me means uh, trying new things, freedom, flow, um, ability to let others kind of grow and try stuff and creating that space uh, for people to thrive and to remain creative. Uh, so it's it's less about, I think, if you'd asked me this question five years ago, I'd be like, oh, well, it's about trying different experiences and more like, I don't know, being around lots of colors. Um, more like, <laughs> like creative and literal little, yeah. yeah. Whereas now, actually, I think creativity means just fostering that environment where people can use their brains in a very critical and open way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, and I think um, I mean there was a really great provocative talk on Ninety Nine U. I think it was from their conference. Um, a uh, designer who was um, really against the design thinking process or the kind of very blanket approach design uh, design thinking hexagons. You go through this phase and then this phase, and you get all the post it notes out, and you'll have a good result. And she was kind of really. Um, passionate about design crit and about um being open to that feedback and making things better and better from mm. a kind of visual design perspective as well mm. so i think the other element feedback yes yes yeah, but the sorry. other element of it is like yes feedback you know um, <laughs> the other element of that is as i think creative leadership also involves you will be a manager or a leader of more creative people like if yeah, you start to think much. about i mean AI scaremongering um, the idea that the parts of our kind of our, hu- our most human skill set that's going to be of most value is going to be that um, that creativity and um, mm. and critical thinking and um, and collaboration so and I think empathy yeah and I think really you're, you're being a, a safeguard of of that human humanness yeah, yeah and that's kind of that's definitely the the um, mountain that I'll Die on accident. It's um, or the humans. Yeah, I'll be killed by robots in the first wave. But it's. Um, but I think it's. Um, that's really key. But I love. I love your kind of definition of where coaching is useful because I think that magic of coaching is when people feel like they came up with their own solution and yeah. you're so good at that. Like it's such a, a pleasure to watch is um, seeing people kind of come away from working with you and feel so much more capable when actually not a lot has changed it's like not it's so different from a training experience or an event-based learning experience because actually what you've done is you've that mirror thing but you create the space for someone to like dig around in their own problem yeah rather than that 
rescue kind of leader who wants to dive in and offer their own experience and perspective mm. I think with the um, I mean gosh we're not that old but the generation below us freak me out like <laughs> and I think really avoiding that freak out and like embracing those people's perspective you've got yeah. to build some coaching skills in well I found like it was really hard I was one of those people and I still think I am where like you tell me a story or a problem and I'll be like I have kind of the same problem, and I'm going to talk about that. And I just coaching taught me that like that is not useful. It's just so like, helpful. It's, it's not. Fun. <laughs> it's fun, like because I get to share my story too. And like, oh wait, this conversation was just about me. Um, so we I loved it. I, yeah, thanks, Heather. <laughs> um, so I had to really re- like stop myself from like nope, nobody cares about what I went through because like going back to empathy, I'm not in your shoes. So even though there might I've interpreted your story to be familiar to mine. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. And it's an awful assumption to make. So instead, the asking questions is just, I mean, it's yeah. just been great. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Mm. Um, so we, uh, there's some free wine around the corner. <laughs> so we've heard a rumor. <laughs> um, which uh, we'd like to make the most of. Um, but Heather, it's been an absolute pe- pleasure to have you on and I'd love to have you on again because we only went through half of our list <laughs> so I know it's like you just have so much to talk about every time and um, and always a, a good giggle and yeah. um, I must say thanks very much for having me